Hey online church, welcome. I'm Emmy. And I'm Gypsy. And today we're starting a new series on No Fear. Pastor Alan brought an amazing word to kick us off. So let's jump right in. Are we ready? Yeah, I want to encourage us. You know, I just felt um, in worship, sometimes we can feel a bit challenged. We can, some of us have been believing, maybe hoping. But I just want to encourage you that no matter what you're journeying through in life, I want you to know that God is with you. God is by your side. And uh, how many of you know that Jesus is coming back for His church? And I uh, hope we're getting our hearts ready and uh, expectant. Uh, we're kicking off a new series this morning. I'm surrounded by all this stuff around me. We're going to unpack that as we go. But I, I did something this week that I don't usually do. I jumped on Instagram and I asked people, what would you like me to talk about? And usually I get a lot of comments, but it was in, in, incredible the number of people that messaged me on this one topic in different forms. Uh, and it was this topic of fear, uh, you know, the different kinds of fear. Uh, you know, someone got spiritual and asked me the spirit of fear. Uh, someone else, you know, spoke about good fear, bad fear. Uh, someone else, you know, sort of wanted to maybe change it around. It was almost like a bunch of people got together and messaged me at once, but I understand there wasn't. It was maybe a God thing. Someone's like phobia. Talk about the different kinds of phobias. And so uh, we're doing a series kicking off today called No Fear. If you if you were a kid of the 90s, represent, uh, uh, there was a brand called No Fear. You know, I was, oh, getting started, no fear, no fear, there's no fear, uh, don't touch my no fear jersey, you know what I'm saying? I got it for my 13th birthday, so, so it's, and so we're going to sort of revamp that and talk about fear, and I believe the next couple of weeks are going to be very, very powerful. I'd encourage you to not just, obviously you're here today, but not just sort of tune in online, but I'd, I'd love for you to be in the room as God does His thing, and I believe God's going to set some of us free in a powerful way in the next couple of weeks, starting this morning. I believe the series is going to speak to us. If you're going through, if, you, if you're a person that struggles with being worried, I mean, that's all of us. If you've had your struggles with anxiety, if you've had your struggles with just trying not to even hold captive thoughts that seem to come and creep on you in the middle of the night, this series is for you. I want to read from the book of 2 Kings, from the life of a prophet that some of us know called Elisha. And Elisha was an incredible prophet because whatever he touched, it was like God was on it. Incredible things. And so this is a story that's not that popular in the Bible, but it's quite a significant story. And, and, and it's a story where they're in the middle of the battle. In fact, I love how 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16 begins. It starts with, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do you know the word, do not be afraid, is in the Bible 365 times. If we could read each version of Do Not Be Afraid, three, six, one day, every day, we could have a scripture for every day of the year. It's almost like God knew that fear would always creep around us when one thing is sorted, another thing will come tomorrow. But I feel like God wants to say to us this morning, do not be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that we would open our eyes, that God would open our eyes. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you this morning that as your word is spoken, that it becomes relevant into our situation, into our circumstances. And God, only you can do what you can do. And that's what I love, what you do. Because when you begin to touch hearts, lives are changed. Mindsets are shifted. I pray for every person in this place that are aware that they're going through some form of fear, some form of worry, some form of anxiety, and people that maybe don't know, or maybe they're going to hit that tomorrow, that this Word would be relevant for them. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So the context in 2 Kings is the nation of Israel is going through a season of war. Uh, the Bible talks about this king called the king of Aram. And king of Aram, uh, Aram is part of Syria, modern day Syria. And Aram is on his way and he's attacking the kingdom of Israel. And he's attacking them from different places and different spaces. We, we sort of can gather from the text that Aram is the stronger army. They're more strategic. They're more uh, powerful. They're more numerous. But when we read the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, everyone's frustrated. The king of Israel is frustrated. The Israelites are frustrated. Uh, the king of Aram is frustrated and the army of Aram is frustrated. Everyone is frustrated and everyone is panicking. And so we read in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8, it says, When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. So what we're getting to understand from this text is he would say, let's attack from this place, let's attack from that place. But check out what it says in verse 9. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, the prophet, the one who could hear God with incredible accuracy, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place for the Ar Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God time and again. Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert there. And so what we begin to understand is Israel doesn't have a strategy. The Aramites have a strategy, but Israel doesn't have a strategy. Israel's strategy is Elisha. Israel's strategy is the man of God. And what we read is that anytime the king of Aram is conspiring to attack the nation of Israel, the Bible says that Elisha would maybe get a dream or get a message or get an insight that that's what's going to happen. And he would text the king and say, hey, don't go near that corner because they're about to attack. You know, I know you guys are camping there, but just sort of move from there. And this would constantly frustrate the king. How many of you would like an Elisha? You're like, I would like me an Elisha. I would like to buy that from Kmart for $19.99. <laughs> How good would it be if every morning you'd wake up and Elisha would say, don't take the Bruce Highway, lots of traffic. <laughs> Congestion on the Bruce Highway. Don't go to that cafe. Someone's gonna go crazy at you. Don't, don't, go, don't go to that meeting. Imagine if we could have an Elisha that would tell us what to avoid and what to keep away. But friend, I'm here to tell you that God has given us someone greater than Elisha and his name is the Holy Spirit who will never lead you, who will never forsake you. He's always by your side. And he knows, in fact, Jesus said that when the Spirit of God comes upon you, he will lead you into all truth. He will give you revelation. And I want you to know that you may not have your own physical, bald version of Elisha, but I want you to know you have someone greater, something greater, the Holy Spirit. And he will lead you and he will guide you. Even when you go through a day of anxiety, even when you're going through a battle in fear, I want you to know that he is by your side. In fact, you may not know this, there have been many moments in your life, I know for a fact in my own, when I look back, where God has saved me. See, we read this from an aerial view and we know that God saved the king. 
But, but what if the king did not know that, that literally God saved his life? When you begin to realize at some point in your life, when you look back, you will see the moments where God has saved you. You were invited to something and you didn't go or you were supposed to be somewhere but you didn't turn up or you were supposed to be in a relationship that God said, I'm not thanking God for the doors that he opened. I'm thanking God for the doors that he closed. I'm thanking God for. I'm thanking God for the doors. See, a lot of times we talk about the doors that God opens, but what about the doors that God has closed? That friendship, that relationship. That we know we don't under, we have no understanding the kind of attack that the enemy had designed for us. And so we read in the text that we see how God protects his people. But then it says in verse 11, the king of Aram, the king of Aram, I want you to see the king of Aram as the enemy. I want you to see the king of Aram as that evil thought. I want you to see the king of Aram as probably that disease. I want you to see the king of Aram as that weapon that's been formed against you. It says, became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? Uh, imagine, I, I believe that's the kind of the conversations the devil has when, it, when he talks about your life. She was supposed to go to that party and she was supposed to go that way and he was supposed to do that. Which of you is a mole in my army? Which of you has been sneaking, sneaking up on me? Isn't it? See, we have this picture of the devil as this crazy, voracious, I mean, he's all powerful, he's all controlling. No, he's not. He's second guessing as he goes. And, and, and then we read in verse 12, it says, it's not us, my Lord. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet, in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the word you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. And then in verse 13, there's this private dialogue that's going on. And in verse 13, it says, go and find out. I don't know what was so funny, but praise God. Go and find out where he was. You got that joke from like five minutes ago. Go and find out. It's slow, it's slow Sunday today. Verse 13, <laughs> go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And then the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Now, this whole text alone, I could spend all my time today. I warn, I'll just give you a nutshell version. Because some of you need to understand that you, there is someone that is against you called the enemy. Some of you are aware, some of you are, are not, but he is real. But sometimes we have our own conceptions and thoughts and ideas about the enemy. And what we begin to understand is that the first thing we notice is the enemy begins to inquire about Elisha. In other words, he knows who Elisha is, but he doesn't know where Elisha is. That gives me a few clues, and here are the clues. The enemy does not know your emotional status. The enemy does not know what your mood is. The enemy does not know what you're struggling through, but he begins to make assumptions based on your words, based on your actions, and based on your interactions. See, we have this idea that the enemy is all-knowing like God, but he's not. And he's got a second guess where you are. He's got a second guess where you're going. And you got to understand this because sometimes we can be so, so paralyzed and sometimes we can be panicking because we're like, I can't make a move because the enemy is all around me. He's just out there to kill and steal and destroy. Yes, he is, but he's second guessing his attack and he's second guessing his agenda and that's his approach to you. 
That's the first thing we got to understand. The second thing we got to understand is it says that they found out where Elisha was and it says that they surrounded Elisha. In other words, they were attacking Elisha when the story began, but now they doubled their attack. Which tells me if the, if the attack and the anxiety and the worry and the concern and the fear that you're carrying in today is greater than the fear that you were carrying yesterday, because I meet people that tell me things like, I thought when I met Jesus, now I met Jesus 13 years ago, and I'm still struggling with the same fear. And I'm still struggling with the same pain. And I'm still struggling with the same anxiety. But if you start doing an inventory, you begin to understand that you're not struggling with the same thing, but the struggle has doubled. Which tells me something that what worked yesterday is not working today. Then it tells me that if the devil is double the attack, that means he knows he's losing. If you are going through a battle right now, and if you feel like the battle has just intensified as you've entered this year, I've got good news for you because whatever the enemy was throwing your way, he wasn't winning, he wasn't successful. You may feel like you're being defeated, but maybe you're successful. This is so much better, happier preaching. I know you might be just taking notes, but I, I don't even need anybody to clap me this morning. I've come to preach my, to myself today. And you got to understand that when the enemy begins to do all this sort of stuff, you begin to get an understanding that he's just trying to see that there's something happening in you that you may not see. And here's the third thing that I take from the story. It says that they doubled the attack. I've come to realize that the kind of trauma and fear that I'm facing is never a reflection of the attack, but rather the size of my calling. See, if you're going through such an incredible amount of attack and such an incredible amount of fear, what the devil wants you to focus on is on your fear. But anytime the devil's about to attack, I make an assessment. What is he bringing to the warfare this time? Is he bringing a knife or is he bringing an AK-47? Because the equipments he uses shows me the potential that God sees in me. See, it's because God has a plan and God has a purpose and God has a promise that you are under such incredible attack. And so whenever you're under attack, I want you to be encouraged knowing that the devil has more faith in you than sometimes you have in yourself. You can make a great assessment of your calling by the amount of attack and the doors that the enemy seems to close around you. And that's not my message, but that's a message in itself. But in verse 14, it says, So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with merry chariots and horses to surround the city. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up, that's Elisha's servant, early the next morning and went outside. There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. And Elisha said, do not be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Verse 17, this is our first key. When you face trauma, when you face fear, when you feel anxious, then Elisha prayed. Then Elisha prayed. The first thing you do when you're hit by fear is to pray. You're like, oh, come on, give me something practical. Tell me that secret kombucha recipe. <laughs> How many planks do I need? Planks you must if you should, but pray while you're planking. 
do whatever to get across your anxiety. That how many how many breathing exercises, Pastor Alwyn? What's my first step when you're under attack? When fear comes creeping in, begin to pray. Now that sounds very spiritual. That sounds like oh, I know I'm hearing amens and I'm hearing yeses and all that. But can I say to you, even when I'm under attack, the first thing I do is not pray. The first thing I do is think. And I think, and I think, and I hit a roadblock, and I hit another one, and I think about, uh, you know, pie charts start opening up in my head, and, you know, arrows start coming together, and nothing seems to join together. But I've come to realize that, and here's the thing, when, and I'm going to say something, it probably shouldn't be said, but it is a truth. When you're under attack, the last thing you will feel like doing is praying. Can I say to you, when I'm under attack, a lot of times the last thing I feel like doing is to pray. We, would, we will post, we will text, we will poke, we will prod, we will call, we will binge watch something, we will eat, we will do anything except pray. But I've come to realize that when I don't feel like praying, those are the greatest times to pray. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you are facing a spirit of fear, if you're going through stuff, if you're in the middle of trauma, if you're a person that experiences the attacks and all sorts of things, can I say to you, pray, because when you begin to pray, it begins to change everything. See, when you're surrounded by prayer, we begin by fear. You, you, need, you need to be saying, I need to be praying. When you, when, you, when you begin to pray, what begins to happen is prayer settles your inner dialogue. Prayer calms my soul. Prayer leads me beside still waters. Prayer hands me an update on my situation. I read this the other day, and this is what it says 40% of what we fear never happens. of what we worry about is stuff from the past and we can't really do anything about it. 12% of the things we think about is to do with other people's life and is none of our business anyways. (laughs) Just making sure that they catch it on online church. I heard that it's lagging a bit there. 10% of what we fear is sickness related, real or imagined. Here's the crazy part. It's only 6% of what we think or process is what is likely to happen. But how many of us spent 95% of our lives in the 6% zone? 6%. We live in the 6% when there's 94% of all these great things that God is doing around us, through us, beside us. But we live in the 6% zone. I heard a pastor share this, and I like this acronym for fear. I believe it's going to come up on the screen. Fear stands for fake evidence appearing real. Fake evidence that appears real. Fake evidence. If you're going through fear, there's a huge possibility that what you have is fake evidence that appears real. And here's the thing. I love this definition because when you get hit by fear, it feels real. I'm not for a moment discounting that, oh, it's not real. That's just all the things that you've been, all the organic stuff you've been eating. That's, that's, all, that's, all, that's all real. Stop chewing the kale. You know, like, that, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, you know, we, the feeling is real. When fear hits you, no one can convince you it's not real, but it may be fake evidence. But I love what Elisha does in verse 17. It says, and Elisha prayed, which is our first point when it comes to uh, tackling fear. And he, what did he pray? He prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. 
the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around him, around Elisha, was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Now, here's our second key. That one of the ways we tackle fear is by focus. By focus. Is by what we focus on. Elisha prayed, open his eyes. And Elisha said something powerful. He said, there are more that are with us than against us. There are more for us than that is against us. I want to say to you right now, whatever you're going through, there is more on your side than what is against you. Whatever you're going through, there is more in your side. There's more on your team. There's more resources. And here's the thing. So many times, God wants to show us the picture, but there are many things that get prime time airing in our hearts. Many things get, it's sort of like our vision has been filled up and clouded with all these other things of what's that going to happen there and what's going to happen here and this is going to happen and that's going to happen and all sorts of things and, and, and fear has a funny way of expressing itself. Have you noticed that? If you've ever met a person with some sort of, some sort of awkwardness, it's, you can always relate it back to a spirit of fear. Some kind of fear is in there and I don't, I don't think this side of the row is convinced. So I'm going to show you something that is an example of fear. <laughs> Some of you are like, Pastor Alvin, you use the whole church budget <laughs> to get this prop. No, I'm smart. I got somebody else to buy it. We're not sure what it's going to be, but this is a perfect representation of fear. We're looking, we're looking at the world through the lens of this. <laughs> through the lens, through the lens of this. And some of you are like, what is he talking? I, I, true story, I saw a story on Instagram yesterday where they auctioned one toilet roll for $472. It was in Gimpy. Let's all pray for Gimpy. <laughs> They're doing it tough. I don't even know how they put the video up. There is no internet there, but if you're watching from Gimpy, we love you. God bless you. So, but some of you are like, what's he talking about? For those of you who don't know, we have people that watch us online from other parts of the world. There is a, there is a crazy thing happening right now in Australia where people are buying toilet papers upon toilet papers. And it's, it's our way of piling up and stocking up because of coronavirus. And, and people are fearful that we're going to run out. In fact, I'm hearing that supermarkets are, are budgeting. Uh, supermarkets are budgeting for how many you can take and how much you can grab with you and all sorts of things. And it, it, it's been pretty crazy what's been happening. And, and, and this is a perfect... Now, we laugh at this, but I wonder how many things in our lives do we approach that way? How many, how many things in our lives do we have a holding mentality? Maybe, maybe we might have a toilet paper approach when it comes to our relationships. Maybe, maybe we have a toilet paper approach when it comes to the voice of God. Like, what if God's promises run out? What if God's love for me runs out? Maybe we have a toilet paper approach when it comes to our marriages. What if they stop loving me? What if that child stops caring for me or understanding that I'm her mother or I'm his father or whatever? We have that approach in different areas. And what happens is that which seems funny to us when it comes to this, we apply that in our own life when it comes to spiritually. 
even right now as I'm putting this up here, some of you are like, man, I, I think I need to top up. I think I need to go after service. I need to go and get me some of this. But here's, here's what I'm trying to say. It's, it's such an important thing that we can have this holding mentality out of fear. But what I love is, Elisha in this book is surrounded by the enemy. That enemy can be anything. Right now, globally, we are surrounded by an enemy called coronavirus. But maybe individually, you, may, you might be surrounded by a relationship that's toxic. Or maybe you're going through a school situation that seems like you are surrounded. Maybe it might be in your relationship that you feel surrounded. But what I love is the story doesn't end there because check out what it says in verse 18. It says, as the Armenian army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind so that the Lord, so the Lord struck them with blindness. Now we would love the story to start this way. Once upon a time, the Armenian armies were attacking the Israelites and God struck them with blindness. The end. See, that's what we want God to be. We want fix it, God. Isn't it amazing that before God could strike the enemy with blindness that he had to open the eyes of his children? See, we want God to heal me so that I can see. Give me so I can give. Love me so I can love. But God says, no, can you look deeper if the eyes of your heart can be open? If you can see that there is more on your side. If, the, if you can see there is more for you than what is against you. I'm praying that this message is, I feel like I'm prophesying into somebody's situation right now, into somebody's relationship right now. You feel like your relationship is so stale, but I'm here to tell you there is more in you. There is more around you than what is against you. And I love what David says in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? I love this story because literally this was the moment where that song was written. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because it may look like I'm surrounded by virus. It may look like I'm surrounded by fear. It may look like I'm surrounded by anxiety. It may look like I'm surrounded by fear and torment and gossip and slandering and betrayal and all sorts of attacks. It may look, it may even feel like that, but I need to know that I am surrounded by you. Why don't we stand up to our feet? I believe God wants to do a work in this place where, where, where we're gonna go into a place knowing that we're approaching our battle with the right weapons of warfare and that weapon is praise that weapon is worship that weapon is the spirit of God that weapon is a sword of the spirit is somebody getting this in this place why don't we lift our hands why don't we sing the worship team's gonna lead us come on wow what an incredible message I love that he spoke on how we can make a greater assessment of our calling based on the attack the enemy has over us yeah and I loved how he gave some practical tips on how to overcome fear if this spoke to you too, make sure you share it with your friends. And if you want to be a part of what we're building here, head on over to mydownpour.com forward slash give. And keep up to date by subscribing and turning on the notification bell. We will see you next week.